Peace, family. You know, I've always believed that one of the greatest potentials of a biography is to tell about the place and time that someone's from rather than just the person. Well, our guest today, Kitty Wu, is a fascinating person in her own right. Definitely has a story that's intrinsically linked to the city of Seattle and the Pacific Northwest region of the United States. She's a pioneering media producer and community organizer that's worn many hats in the world of hip-hop, arts in general, culture, and activism. Her roles have ranged from currently sitting as the co-director of Tools Zulu, one of the most prolific grassroots hip-hop organizations in the world today, to acting as the chair of the Seattle Music Commission. She handles programming for the, the video program, The Cool Out Network, which has changed the landscape of hip-hop media in the Northwest. She handles artists and media for the record label Fresh Chop Beats, which is home to artists like Gabriel Teodros and Afu Ra. She's an organizer with the Seattle Music Festival Folklife, and she played a huge role in the preservation and restoration of the historic landmark turned community space Washington Hall in Seattle's Central District, which we'll hear more about. We'll also talk about her journey in activism, some of the tools that her and her partners used in creating hip-hop media institutions in Seattle, and the history of the Zulu Nation in the Northwest. We'll also get into discussing the pathway to healing that they've taken after the tragic events surrounding the Universal Zulu Nation in regards to the revelations about its founder, Africa Bambata, which some of you may already know about. If not, some of that will come out in this conversation as well. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. We have today producer, director, a public speaker, a mother, and of course, like the theme of most of our guests on this show, a friend to many. Enter Kitty Wu. When you and I first met, you were um, you were producing Cool Out TV with Giorgio Brown, right? Which is mm -hmm. far before 206 Zulu and all the things that you're doing today. But maybe in, in attempts to kind of like gather the world that we're building around you and you, we could walk towards that point of Cool Out TV and then... Um, like just leading into it, it or what what brought you to that point so mm. like um were you were you born in seattle i was not i was born in la mm -hmm. in uh, the san fernando valley and we our family moved here in 1974 when i was four okay so that's so pretty original that that's what i i always i never was sure if that was like your origin origin but but main mm -hmm. point is that yeah you were you were there through all of these different stages, um, which which were leaded to the the things that were happening, and it also might make me lean on you a little more for uh, questions on on what the world, especially the hip hop world in Seattle, was <laughs> as you were coming up. But just focusing on you for a minute, if you were kind of like you know like the the superheroine origin story. Like, what are some of those moments that would be in that comic book that would be like your origins mm -hmm. into, yeah, into, you know, like this person we're celebrating who is you today? Oh, gosh, that's a big question. My origin story. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, really, like coming to the Northwest, I remember that I was four years old. I remember that specifically. Um, we were driving up in a U-Haul. My mom's whole family had already moved up to the Northwest and um, she missed them greatly. My mom is a big mama's girl. And so they decided to just pick up and move. And um, that trip on I-5 up to the Northwest, I just remember it going from gray desert to green and mm -hmm. it just being a little one, like the, the thing that stuck out to me the most was the pines, you know, like all of all of those big green pines coming up along, uh, along uh, I-5. And yeah, just that idea of it being like, it was like an oasis. Like, I feel like everywhere we went, it was like mountains and water and rivers and lakes. And um, that just had a profound effect on me growing up in the San Fernando Valley as like a little one because everything was concrete. Mm. Um, so that, you know, like growing up, we originally went to um to North Bend and so there were rivers and the little areas where, where folks you know I it almost seemed like a fairyland like that idea of like little um gosh just so much so many different things to play with I saw snakes for the first time and, and little bugs like little things that um just like opened my eyes to to nature 
yeah, that's interesting, right? Like I, I always, there, there is like I've always kind of like theorized or wondered how how because this is a unique type of type of folks in in the Northwest. It's like there's the elements that's hella West Coast, you know what I mean, to it. But like there's this particular Northwest thing, and a lot of it is is like at this like open, active, you know what I mean, like the type of philosophy and politics and ideology that's around there. And I always kind of like wondered how that like the natural world creates there's something i don't know like i guess different people interact with that stuff differently but like yeah the concrete world versus this place that is metropolitan you know and has all the the elements of a large city but also has trees and like ravens might be on the you know, know on on, at, on top of the bus stop on the block you know and like mm-hmm. the green of the emerald city yeah. And then, you know, even just that concept of the Emerald City, uh, my dad worked um, in the sign industry my whole life. He still does. And he worked down by um, what was the kingdom at the time. And I remember having this dad, this dad daughter day at his sign company and driving into the city and it was all foggy driving across 520 and um, just being there they had it was funny they had little alley cats and um this it was such a port city at the time we still are a port city but it was just so grimy seattle was grimy city in in the 70s mm-hmm. and i was fascinated by it i was fascinated by the space needle and the kingdom and all the buildings um because we were really growing up in a rural area we lived in snoqualmie and north bend and redmond um and i, I was always fascinated with the city Hmm. And then, and and you you said your dad he he started a sign business. Yeah, he um, well he came here to work for Papa and Chris Sign Company for the the old folks out in in the in the world here listening. Um, and then in '83, uh, created Graphic Display Sign Company, which he still owns today down in Georgetown. Hmm. And your and and your dad he where did he come from before uh before Washington before LA. Oh, he's from Zacatecas, Mexico. Uh-huh. All right, so so yeah, so do you feel like like here like watching him come here and start something from scratch like that? You were kind of talk you as we were talking before we started this about the pressure of of having somebody <laughs> like kind of like achieve to that level, but do, mm-hmm. do you feel like that like that kind of like watching that self start that kind of like um taking you know, your life and your finances into your own hands, coming up with an idea and manifesting it. Were you cognizant of that at a young age? Was that an influence as to like what kind of made you this organized, grab everything, do everything kind of person? Yeah, I mean, watching him and my mom, because it was him and my mom that built that company out of the garage in our house and seeing them like just really like put their hands to the, you know, put their hands to work. It was kind of scary because, you know, starting a business in the eighties, um, you know, they, uh, finances was always something that they were thinking about. And it was the first time I saw my mom work. She was a stay at home mom until then. Um, but it was inspiring. Like it inspired me. I thought I wanted to be an architect. Um, I would do like line drawings. Um, I did a lot of the permits for graphic display for many years out of coming out of high school. So that was my dream. Like I wanted to be an architect. Hmm. Did, that's we were also touching on that too. Like design, that idea of like, yeah. And we'll 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 double back to this later. I think too, because a lot of this, a lot of the, you know, like a lot of tools, like Zulu and different arts organizations you've been working with. Uh, a, a lot of it centers around this idea of of education too, and then that reverts back to this idea of creating a better world and how you know our interactions with the communities we work with start at a young age and some of the things that can set young people on a course to to be proactive members of society and of a world like I've always felt like design you know what I'm saying like if you I don't know like engineering and design like if it's it, in its bigger sense not just being an engineer or being an architect but the idea that you you can understand something by the systems that make it up and then looking at like looking at looking at a building and considering yourself as the designer 
you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or, you know, or whether it's clothes or, 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 you know what I mean? Whether it's sound engineering and design, it's the, but this idea of like, you kind of like, I don't know, it seems akin to the idea of like claiming or controlling narratives or mm-hmm. constructing and building the world that you want to see. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, my very favorite thing is seeing something start and having a middle and having an end. I, that's my favorite thing in the whole world. And that's part of the reason why, you know, uh, you know, production got me so excited is because there's a planning process. You're really working to get, you know, like, how do we want this? What does, what does this room look like? What is, you know, like, what are you going to hear when you come in there? Um, and then like at the end of the project, you know, you're, you, you make sure all the, the checks are cut for folks and, you know, like the project ends, you do a report. This is what we did. And, you know, that's also, you know, as we talk about things with Zulu, one of the things I absolutely loved about Chasm is like how he um, how he formulated, you know, the project that we did. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like like in varying degrees of of um, common commonality. Right. Like there is I can think of plenty of folks that are great at starting you know mm-hmm. i could think of a few that are that are that are good at that like the the middle in the work and then mm-hmm. and then that funnel gets narrower and narrower when you come to finishing let alone cutting the checks i appreciate that you put that part in there especially for <laughs> artists right like um mm-hmm. and and we should bookmark this too cuz i think this is like this is going to dub back in some of your other affiliations but also like yeah, like that cutting the checks part is crucial. And there's so many mm-hmm. different like, oh, play for it, play, you know, play your music for exposure or, oh, or no. you know, or again, and, and like a big part of, big part of that work that, that, you know, I know you've been a part of is, has been creating fair playing ground for, for art to create economy around art and stuff like that. But before, before we jump to that, um, Staying, staying in the early era of your life and, and your world in Seattle, um, I, I wanted to ask, what about, uh, what about hip hop? When, when did mm-hmm. you kind of like, was it, was it, when, did you, were you aware of it at a really young mm-hmm. age? Did it, was that later on? And, and if so, yeah, like what, what memories do you have about like those early days of, of hip hop in Seattle? When, when was your, yeah. your early awareness of hip hop? Oh gosh, it was probably, it was definitely high school. Um, you know, I grew up at, I graduated from Redmond High School and grew up with a lot of boys um, in the skateboard community. And there was a lot of connection between the punk scene and, and hip hop in the skateboarding community. Mm. And, um, you know, some of the first folks I heard was like the Def Jam Collective and um, Beastie Boys and LL. And that those were my, really my first, um, I think it was, honestly, I think it was like a, what's the thing you do in high school where it's like you go like everybody goes and like during lunchroom and they they show off their their talent show so a talent show someone had done Mm -hmm. um uh one person did an ll song and one Mm -hmm. person did the bc boys um you gotta fight for your right to party i think that was (laughs) like i was like oh my god what is this yeah that Um, i could imagine the feeling of that in a in a high school lunchroom Mm-hmm. You have everybody's focused on fighting for your right to party. It must, that must oh, been. you know what? It, it actually was junior high because we had a oh. dance crew come in during one of those lunch breaks too. There was a b boy, a b boy crew, and I wish I wish I could remember who who that was. But um, yeah, junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. And then what about like what about any of the people that were like doing it on a larger level? Do you do? Cause I mean, this is, this is definitely, this is a low key history of like early Seattle rapper. Like, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, for a, a lot of people listening to this, unfortunately is going to be Sir Mix a lot. You know what I mean? And, and for oh. some of the young, <laughs> the young kids, listen, it might be some like Macklemore if folks you know, out there still remember him. You know what I mean? But like, uh, yeah, like, yeah. Do you, do you remember like any like releases or like being aware of, of Seattle artists that were doing it. Um, I mean, honestly, I gotta be honest. For me, it was Remix a lot, and it was Square Dance Rap, and mm-hmm. I heard it in a parking lot 
with someone that had serious bass in their car. And, you know, so that was, you know, mm. for Seattle folks, Mix a Lot was my first. You know, I, I did miss that Emerald Street Boys early on and didn't get uh, connected or, or know about them until much later in life. But Mix was my guy. Like, that mm. was my first connection to Seattle hip hop. And then Kiss Sensation and... Kiss um, yeah. And then like on the alternate, you know, cause I'm more of a, was more of an emo kid growing up and listened to the cure and, uh-huh. you know, um, Depeche mode. And so I was like traveling across the water to go to this underground club. Uh, what was like all ages club called the underground and my foray into it there, like in 88, 89 was Donald Glaud and Donald Glaud was this electronic or still is this electronic DJ um, he did Friday nights and at the time he was doing a mix of hip hop and, and, um, uh, electronic music. So like Rob bass, it takes two and, mm-hmm. you know, like really kind of more dance floor type type music. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And then, and then what about like, what about the idea of, of, of activism and like this, like bigger picture kind of stuff did, did that, ever come in early did yeah what was the what what was like the chicken and the egg in that sense was did you Mm -hmm. have any cognizance of this and I especially ask that too from you in terms of media because I know you've spent so much of your life focusing on like using media as a form of activism Mm -hmm. I I guess when did when was your when was your first like awareness of people kind of like organizing or somebody doing something for something that was bigger than, than themselves and and did that did did you working in media lead to you seeing it as a tool for social change or was there something that preceded that? You know, I never understood that what we were doing, at least in the early days at Cool Out, I did mm-hmm. not realize that what we were doing was um, activism in any way. Um, I didn't realize that um, until much later that you know, the stories that we were telling weren't being told. And even on like MTV or BET at, at the time, because that was, you know, the 90s, mm-hmm. um, I didn't realize that we were like doing something special in that way and and really creating these stories for ourselves. But I do remember there was a shooting in Pioneer Square and Jay Moore was speaking, Cutfather, um, both of them rest in peace, Um the community just came together because they were really um, just making it seem like it was like strictly a hip hop thing. So I think that was really the first time that I connected the two in terms of like telling our stories and getting our word out because until then it really just seemed like, Hey, this is this music that we love and let's just, you know, let's tell stories about, about people and, you know, make them bigger than life because in many ways they were bigger than life in, in my eyes and in Giorgio's eyes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Like the the delineation between like obviously this this like you know trying to address these acts of violence, you know what I mean, and and create change around them. Obviously, when there's like a political issue, you know, media is a is a form of exchange of those ideas. But yeah, even telling those those like those stories that that allow somebody to kind of like take their place in history is is a is is pretty huge. I think, like you said, like is it the 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 narrative? I, I think it was uh it was Emil YX uh, on one of the other episodes that was saying that like in terms of Black Lives Matter, like the the narrative that neglects that value as opposed to to narratives that that actually just celebrate the value of life, um, in particular Black lives in this case, like it just. It's 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 a simple act by just you're doing a show about musicians or people in you know people that are artists in the community or whatever, but it also, yeah. Do you feel like that's like, yeah? How like how how much is just like building con- having access to that narrative as opposed to like directly political stuff, but just mm-hmm. just telling stories of people that are in that community and 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 allowing them to be included in in more you know narratives mm-hmm. for more people to hear like i don't know like what how big do you think that that is as a, as an act of changing the world for the better i mean i think that that is just huge um when 
when you're able to especially take a young artist that you know is maybe being opening for people or maybe just selling you know back like back in the 90s selling cds on on uh 3p and Mm. make like it's different performing and it's and it's a totally different thing seeing yourself perform and seeing yourself on this TV show, whether it's Cool Out or Hip Hop 101 or Music Inner City, that is like coming across yourself on television is extremely powerful. And remember back then, like you didn't have, we didn't have YouTube. You weren't able to just go online and be like, oh, let me see, um, you know, let me see Maddie B on, on, uh, on YouTube. Like you had to be at home watching channel 29 or 77 Mm -hmm. at the specific time to see Maddie B on TV. So, you know, like if your friends or your mom, I remember my dad saw me on TV and he was like, what are you doing on TV? (laughs) He was like, he was like, I was just, I was scrolling to the TV and I saw you on television. Like there's, um, and, and that really just, it was a profound difference in the way, you know, I think my dad saw me even, um, it's just different. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, not to not to shift any any focus to myself, but I I I feel like I should share with you in this space too. Like that was one of those moments for me too. At like with the mind movers and uh, as an early as an MC early on coming on hip hop one on one TV when you were I think you're the floor director at that Mm -hmm. time. Like that uh yeah that made like a huge impact on my my view of like my legitimacy as an artist and and my confidence and even like doing doing the interview afterwards on that show I think back to that often with the kids that I work with when they're they're kind of like trying to get over like the public speaking you know that thing where you get caught up you know Mm -hmm. and like you kind of like lose you can't get your thoughts together or out and you're just like you're thinking about thinking and stuff like Mm -hmm. I remember that's what I did the first time I was on there with (laughs) on on hip-hop 101 as a guest and um and then in in like I reflected on, on on it afterwards, and I remember coming on that show again, um, with with you putting that thing together uh, with Chasm and uh, and being that much better at it, and that reflection on that progress of like being in that space and being on TV, it made a huge impact. So mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah, that's that's that portion of of your work has reaches out into so many other places that often we don't really like. Yeah, we don't even really like notice or acknowledge. Just like you said, just being there on and in that space, especially at that time too, before yeah, before you could just film yourself and put yourself on YouTube in an instant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's huge. And then and then okay, so like go going a little deeper into that. Um, let's 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 um showcase cool out a little bit if we can. And like, how did you and Giorgio Brown meet? And what yeah, what's if you could like share a little bit of the history <laughs> of you guys and Cool Out TV. Yeah. Um, so my, um, I call him my ex-husband. He would not like me to call him that. He, <laughs> he prefers baby. He prefers baby daddy. So, um, my baby daddy and I, um, Dov, we used to throw raves back in the late eighties, early nineties. And, um, as when we had justice, my, our youngest son, we took time off. We were like, this is, I remember being pregnant, um, working concessions. And I was like, this is not going to happen. It's like three o'clock in the morning and I got to go home. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we took a good amount of time off. And when justice was like five, we, um, we worked with Sean and Chris Gags and did a show or did a weekly called mathematics over at the off ramp. I think it was called something Elvis at the time. I don't remember. Um, like the Velvet Elvis or, oh gosh, uh, Graceland. That's what it was. Mm-hmm. So we were doing a, uh, a weekly on Tuesdays there. And it was just like a, a mix of like hip hop and electronic. There were two rooms and the front room had electronic stuff. And the back room had um, like uh, DJs and Circle of Fire. And um, and I was setting up. We really wanted it to be Circle like an fire, interactive. B-boy crew, B-boy, B-girl crew. That, that's uh-huh. right. Uh-huh. Um, and we, you know, like we didn't want it to be like a regular weekly, we wanted it to be like a sensory experience. And so there was this little flower shop that would always put the flowers out, like the ones that they weren't going to use, like they were, they couldn't sell them anymore. So I would swing through there on Tuesday night, I would grab the flowers and then I would put flowers all around and we would put, you know, music and incense and like all of this, you know, we, we thought we were a part of the whole art, 
art world. I mean, I feel like, you know, we, we were music, music and art. Yeah. Um, so I was putting flowers out and I was running late that night and Giorgio saw me because I would always have my little basket and he thought I was selling flowers. And it was so funny. Um, we ended up, we didn't, we didn't connect that night. He was just like, oh, that's the flower girl. Cause you know, you go to clubs and people sell flowers uh-huh. and, um, so I go to work the next week. It was like during the food.com era. It was right at the beginning of the internet. It was like maybe 98 or 99. And I go to my seat. I was a brand new employee there. And Giorgio looks at me. He's like, aren't you the flower girl? And I was like, what? And I was very offended at the time. I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I was not selling flowers. I was like world. putting, you know, yeah, <laughs> come on. So from there, uh, Giorgio and I just we connected immediately like his passion around music and art and, and just like I, I didn't know about cool out at the time and um, he was like hey we've got this show and I think I think it was like Chuppy or something and I was like are you kidding me of course I want to go I was that in Bellingham and um, he was like well can you he's like well what do you want to do like this is what we do um, I was like I don't know like maybe I could like design a a microphone cover for you and because you know back in the day like on mtv everybody had a microphone mm-hmm. cover that said mtv yeah that's how you, you and, were um, official then yeah hella official uh-huh. so i created a cool out microphone cover for him and just helped him with the production that day and met Tariq and um darian bruce and um it was just super fun super exciting and um that's that was my beginning at cool out and Tariq, darian bruce these are the the other people on the production team that, that were normal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Tariq at the time um was uh was one of the VJs at, at Cool Out. Because that was like that was a big thing. But back then you had to have someone um like a Maddie B, you know, interviewing the, the mm-hmm. artists. Mm-hmm. And so um I worked on the back end and production and and quickly got on cameras. Um back then you would we would rent out all the equipment at, at um, Scan Channel Twenty Nine Seventy Seven, and you could rent it out for a day or a weekend, and then you'd go take these huge, ginormous cameras and set them up on huge tripods and um, film a show. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so to just to illustrate this a little clearer for people that aren't familiar, uh, Cool Out, Cool Out TV. I, I mean. Actually, what's that? Can you give a quick ele- elevator description of of what's the if what's the summation of what Cool Out TV was as yeah. a show? So Cool Out TV, um, at, back at the time, it was called the Cool Out Network, and it was a TV show that um, uh, showed music videos and live performances. So it was a pre-edited. You would, you know, we would the music industry at the time would send you these cassette tapes. Um, these VHS or beta tapes and it would have one music video on it. So they, you know, to get their artists out, they would send all of these, um, like whether it's MTV or cool out network, they would send you these tapes and then you would look through them and see which what's cool. And you'd put it on, um, uh, put it on the, on the line. Everything was analog at the time. And with cool out, you would, you know, you have an intro, you have a, a, a music segment, a live music segment, you have some music videos and a PSA. Um, a PSA was a public service announcement. And um, back in the late 80s and 90s, it was mostly around, you know, uh, like condom use or <laughs> um, HIV AIDS, like uh, um, all of these. Yeah, maybe the drugs. You know. maybe Exactly. Um, and then you put it into a, a tight 28 minutes and you put it online or not online. And you put it on TV. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so every week you, right? Uh, actually, yeah. on TV. Yeah, <laughs> like it's coming on TV when it comes on, and yeah. you watch it if you're there. Exactly, and it was a lottery scan. Um, Seattle's community access network that you would put your name in every quarter or every six months, and you would hope that you would get a get a place on the on the timeline, and then you'd go and every Monday you'd turn in your tape and. The next Monday, you'd turn in another tape and, you know, they would put it on TV. I think at the time it was like eight o'clock on a Friday night. Mm. And where were you guys? Were, were you doing editing in the in the scan studios or did you guys did, did you have your own space? Yeah. Um, at that point, 
Giorgio had, it was like the early days of um, like Mac. Um, what were those dang? Oh, you um, did the big old, the colorful ones? Yeah. Like that was, he had a Mac computer and it was like so futuristic deal, and right. we would do it on that, on there. But he did prior to me coming, he did, um, you would, you would rent out space to scan and you would, you know, you would do it in the scan studio. Mm. And and do you, do you remember, uh, there's something so scan, this is, this is public access or later com- mm-hmm. turned into cable access, which there's a differentiation between, right? Similar mm-hmm. to like, a um, PBS of the of the 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 area in the region, and and that was it was actually big um, a big form of legislation when that was originally when that was originally that institution was created through legislation in the government and and if I'm not mistaken I believe the the for profit cable companies had to fund it and it was supposed to kind of like democratize the 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 TV airwaves more but there was some was was there not the the Seattle Community Access Network scan that television station in in that region the founder of scan in Seattle was do do you recall had some um some tie to the original legislation that created public access in the United States oh my gosh yeah. you're really getting into that you know that's like the FCC stuff that yeah. it's like I've blocked it out at this point but mm-hmm. I remember there was a lot of there, that was also, you know, some activism stuff that was happening in the late 90s, early 2000s mm-hmm. around, you know, because, you know, the public is supposed to own the airwaves. And at the time there was, you know, like like you're saying, it was to democratize um, the way the airwaves were used because supposedly they're owned by the public. And really, as you know, it's it's not really like that. Yeah. Yeah, and and that there was a lot of really high quality programming and and provocative programming coming <laughs> off of that one. If you remember, you I, I recall uh, Mike Hunt, uh-huh. <laughs> who, yes. who who listeners can choose to say that his name very fast if they want to, and uh, and and he was playing pornography. Yeah, um, he was. Over the Straight airwaves, be- yeah, because it was governed in a different way from FCC, and there was these huge, really provocative uh, moves that came out of that that you know that public access and cable access uh, world from from the Northwest and from from Scan and from Seattle in particular that really really pushed back at like some of like the freedom of speech restrictions from the mm-hmm. FCC, and there was some some big times for that. Um, so you also had. Um, you had a, a, like we were mentioning earlier, your time at Scan didn't stop with Cool Out. Um, it expanded mm-hmm. into Hip Hop One Hundred and One TV. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, can yeah, can you kind of run down that line a little bit? And were you, were you there at the from the beginning with Hip Hop One Hundred and One? Do you know about the, no. the the inception of it? Yeah. Okay. So no. So yeah, we. Um, I would see Chasm at shows all the time. So um, I would see, see Chasm and Dirty Devin and um. Uh huh. Dirty gosh. Dirty Devin was the host, the original host of Hip Hop One Hundred and One TV. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, and you know, so Hip Hop One Hundred and One is a is um similar in in vain in terms of like playing um hip hop mu- or like music videos and um having interviews however it was in a live studio audience it had it was filmed live um and had a studio audience at, at various points of time but um yeah i used to see chasm all over town and eventually found out i remember the first time i met him i was like oh yeah i work for cool out and he's like oh cool you know chasm's a really humble cat didn't even tell me he also did a tv show i was not aware of hip hop 101 at the time and, um, you know, we just struck up a friendship and, you know, at some point I'm really trying to figure out how the heck it happened. I feel like we went on hip hop 101 for like a cool out anniversary and did like the cool out takeover for like a whole, like, cause it was an hour long show, um, hip hop 101 was. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think that's how it happened that we just, you know, we were like, okay, well we can be stronger together. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they also, Cause was doing production. He was in the production booth. Kaz was in the production booth. Um, 
and they, I think they needed floor camera people. So I just started, G and I would go there um, for the weekly show and we would just help in whatever way needed to be helped. Mm -hmm. And then at some point we were just like, this could be, um, and that's really kind of the beginnings of Tools of Zulu too. And just knowing that we were stronger together and that we could make our, each of our shows better and stronger with, with more hands. Man, that's, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful segue by the way, but also uh, that idea, I'm, that's one of the next things I was going to ask you about uh, meeting King Chasm, which you already noted, and then how that evolved into um, into this organization, Tool 6 Zulu, which among many of the other things that you've done, you've brought so many programs and, and beautiful moments to life through. Um, but uh, like that idea that it began out of the idea of, well, community and then unity from these different, I mean, how many people would have, both have hip hop television shows in the same region? How many people would find that as a reason to compete or to, or, or to try to bring another person down and not to like lean into the negative, but just pulling that around into what, what y'all saw in that and the potential for even though you're doing the same thing and there's a certain amount of viewers, you know, that, that, mm -hmm. that like combining them could create something even greater. Here, one question about that is, do you, was that a pra like more of a pragmatic business decision or do you think that tied into somehow the, like the growing sense of a larger purpose in this thing of, like we said, like the, you creating this media doing something bigger than than yourselves doing something bigger than than like money and profit but actually taking control being a designer <laughs> you know mm -hmm. in the in the world that we're in and creating a world where more people's stories get told and da 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 but like do you think at this point do you think that might have been what helped yourself Giorgio Chasm to to see a bigger picture in in unifying these two things um do you think it was was it a profit was it a, a business decision or was there some element you think of yeah there's a bigger purpose and that made it more practical to do that yeah well let's be completely clear there is no profit and there is no money <laughs> in public access or scan like uh -huh. there is like that was one of the things that was that Giorgio was extremely um like that was key like we were not charging people to be on tv we were not going to be making any money like this is purely for the community and for us and for fun mm. and so um like that was shot down you know like even just that idea oops sorry i just got so excited there that i just pulled my earplug out it's exciting um stuff. yeah so like there's no money in and doing what we were doing uh -huh. we, both hip hop 101 and cool out cool outs turning or just turned 30 last year never once have we gotten paid to do anything for cool out or hip hop 101 so just so audience members know like it it might look shiny and exciting and like oh man like look like we could make money but there is no money in that um so i think really like coming together it was more this idea of like um we could show more people and we could have more fun and you know like we tr we did treat it like a job like this was a weekly mm -hmm. show and you know even outside of hip-hop 101 the what happened on the night of hip-hop 101 or what happened on the evening that you see cool out there's hundreds of hours that go into the planning and the talking to the the uh, labels to get tapes and recording things and buying tapes and you know i think all of us were investing our money into a thing that we knew we would never get any money out of. That's um. Thank you. I'm 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 glad we took this moment for that differentiation, and and noting that that's such a remarkable element, and that's going to lead directly into the Tuusik Zulu, obviously. But uh, I I like how you said um, you treated this thing like it was a job, which in in essence work is what to do something with an intended result right and mm -hmm. and this there is uh th this world that we live in necessitates the intention of making money 
um, mm-hmm. uh, cause we got bills. Right. And so like that also goes to say that this was done after, you know, everyone involved met their needs to sustain themselves with the, with the time and space that they had left. And, mm-hmm. and like, that's usually the space most people would reserve for hobbies, you know, or whatever, or, or t- partying or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, or sleeping, <laughs> but, uh, like to, to, to take on something with the heart and investment as, as if it is a job, a formal job. And, and to do that without having money involved is it's, I, I think it's, it's a moment. And, and I'll, again, I'll, I'll root back to like, to, as, as someone that was there for some of this, um, during that period of time and, and observe that, that also, that uh, reflect back to you that, that also, that was an inspiration as to like, mm-hmm. what, what our greater role in, in, in the world is, you know, and so much of this work has gotten done from people doing something with the full investment, you know, as much investment as if you were making millions of bucks off of it without that even being a factor is, is remarkable. And that probably leads directly into the, um, into that, that continued like creation of unified sources and bringing people together, which I, which probably is at the core base of what Tuusik Zulu is. Right. So maybe, yeah. Can you kind of like walk us into that, that time and that transitioning into this, this thing Were you, yeah. What was the first utterings of Tuusik Zulu? that you recall Mm. you know chasm had been having these conversations with zulu members for years probably you know easily a decade and this idea of like creating a zulu chapter here in seattle and back in the 80s there was a zulu chapter um bobby 3d um started the original zulu chapter here in seattle and honestly been trying to to find him for a while so if anyone knows bobby 3d like bring him to us mm-hmm. um but yeah so chasm had been having these conversations with with um folks on the east coast and i think you know i met tc islam in at a rave he was here with prince tafari and we went to a rave and met him there and you know i was like oh man we're having these conversations already and i think it was right around the 30th anniversary of Zulu Nation as a whole and he was like well you should come through and Chasm and I Chasm was already planning on going um, Mia B-Girl um, let's see who else uh, Gabriel Chiodros like a whole bunch of us just went out for the 30th anniversary Jay Moore went out as well Jonathan Moore mm-hmm. um, and it was so interesting that was a really fascinating trip for me um, I think now it's about 20 years ago mm-hmm. and I came I remember being at the park with chasm um, we were at this chess park this famous park and he was um, playing chess with someone and the game ended and he was like well what do you think what do you think about starting a chapter and I, I was like oh I don't know man like this is really um, at the time the differences between men and women in the Zulu nation was it was profound to me like as an outsider as someone that was coming in from Seattle where a woman was just like I was doing whatever the hell I wanted to at Hip Hop 101 Cool Mm -hmm. Out and all of these places and like some of the meetings were separate the the women's meetings were separate from the men's and it was just really it it didn't strike me as something that would be appropriate for Seattle I share and I told him that and I remember, I'll always remember this. Chasm said, well, our chapter will not be like that. Like women and men will have the same roles and the same responsibilities. And, um, you know, I think probably it, that was pretty naive of me to think that, you know, like women didn't have power in the Zulu nation. Cause I do think that they, they do. And they did, you know, looking at the whole, um, the whole thing now at 20 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, it, it did strike, strike me as very odd. And so, when he said that, I was like, huh. And he was like, you know, like I thought about it and I was like, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that wasn't until I, I, you know, I came back, but I, I do remember him saying that things were going to be different here. And they certainly were, because when you look at 
206 Zulu in the chapter that we have here, just the sheer number of women is uh, not like any other chapter in the entire world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and whew, and interesting too. Um, the the kind of journey that two hundred six Zulu has taken in in interaction with the Universal Zulu Nation into its current designation, where where it's it's operating separate from that, mm-hmm. right? And and yeah. like there's always been this like element of divergence. And that's, you know, like we started this off with, well, what, what is it that makes the Northwest have this kind of unique, you know, there's, there's a, there's a super piece to it. And there's a, and there's a, there's a level of militants to it too, maybe where it's like, I don't know, there's, there's rebels, <laughs> you know, there's rebels <laughs> in that. And, and like, there's, there's always been a, a, a divergence from those things whereas like it's it's really interesting in terms of especially people listening that that are you know in positions of leadership and community organizations especially community organizations that have parent organizations or large affiliations or corporate affiliations where mm-hmm. like this like like yeah the the courage to be able to start something knowing from the beginning that you're good, that it's going to be at odds to some respect, right? With a, with like the Mm -hmm. dominant cultural aspect, you know, um, that's, that's pretty brave. And, and I'll let you say it, but yeah, would you say that like 206 Zulu has been successful in, in maintaining something unique and independent while like pulling off of the power that, that it had as, as, you know, part of this larger international organization? Yeah. I mean, I just think, Oh man, that gets us into a whole conversation. You know, I, I don't know if viewers know, but we're as of 2016, we're no longer affiliated with the Universal Zulu Nation. And that has to do with founder, our founder issues and and just him really not being um not being willing to take responsibility or be a part of the healing of any of the of the troubles that he created. And I think when you even just look at that specific topic, like in 2016, like immediately upon um, about upon finding out that our founder could potentially have been messing with young boys. Um, oh, this is a really serious topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we immediately started um, a restorative justice program, immediately started looking at our our youth programs and how we handle um, handle handle the safety of young people and really the safety of people, period. You know, I don't think you can ever necessarily have a, a 100% safe spot, but we are working towards making making all of our spaces safe, mm-hmm. safer. Yeah, and and then and then I guess it's worth kind of capping this with when that those levels of reform weren't able to be reflected in the larger organization with with struggle and with action from 206 Zulu among other chapters and individuals um the decision was made to separate right yeah and and what is the and so can can you maybe like break it down a little bit so Mm -hmm. this is and this is i know this is really complex um for people that aren't kind of like in the inner workings zulu Zulu nation has its own kind of like complex culture within it right and Mm -hmm. and and um for people that aren't kind of like on the the inside of that that culture, um, the the kind of like the value of this this unity, right? Like, I guess maybe if I can, maybe I'll ask, I'll try to ask you a couple like bite sized questions to illustrate this. But like okay. the the name Zulu, right? Mm-hmm. The the like and and I even include into that like the salutes and handshakes, Akis and Malikas, which is you know brother and sister. How how the you know culturally Zulus refer to each other, if not king and queen, right? These different mm-hmm. little like elements that 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 like you said, uh, be from the conversation about cool out and and to us and one um, hip hop one on one finding the power in unifying that like yeah, can you just kind of like speak to the so it's still while not affiliated with the Universal Zulu Nation, it is still two hundred six Zulu. Why? Yeah, it's correct. 
you know, gosh, it's such a, it's hard to even talk about these things to be quite honest, but, um, you know, I think transparency is really important and, you know, Zulu nation as a whole, um, went through many, um, different transformations, um, from the organization mighty Zulu nation to the universal Zulu nation. And, you know, when Bambata started this, black spades. Oh yeah. The black spades is the originators. And, you know, I think when Bambata created this, this, um, this organization, like he was really looking for ways to, to bring people together and, to unify folks and to make them feel like in the midst of all of the horrible things that were happening in the Bronx at the time, like just really lifting people up, lifting people's heads up and making them um, know that they were, that who they are and what they were was important. And, you know, so when you look at something, when, you know, you've got a founder that um, really let us down, um, and really just separate, like he's, I feel in many ways he separated from us long before we separated from him. Like we couldn't even read, we couldn't even get him to answer a phone call. Um, and it's, man, I'm just going on a bit of a tangent here, but um, the feeling that cause we are, you know, we are a family and um, you know, and I've told people this before, when they're, when you're trying to become a part of 206 Zulu, knowing that we're going to be together for a very, very long time. And, and really, I call it the rocking chair. Like, I want to be sitting on rocking chairs with these people when we're old, <laughs> you know, like, and thinking about, you know, I, I can tell you in my own family, how my aunties and uncles have have disappointed me as well. You know, and I'm sure at some point, I've disappointed people. And, and I think that's part of family. And However, when we disappoint each other and when we harm each other, we need to, you know, we need to come together and create some solutions around that. And um, what was your question? Um, It was, you know, what the what it means to retain the words. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and we we had thought about it. We're we're our company is 206 Universal. DBA 206 Zulu. And so there was nonprofit company. Yeah, mm-hmm. our official nonprofit. And so it really like 2016 really divided us in many ways and there were people that were like we should not be 206 Zulu and there were people that were like we should be 206 Universal. And you know, I think in many ways like regardless we were going to have to make some serious changes in our org and really I feel like if we would have changed our name I feel like that would have like shut down conversations and maybe tried to like bury things. And really, we don't want to do that. Like, um, you know, essay, um, you know, sexual assault um, is something that is constantly buried. And we didn't want to do that. Like we wanted to, you know, be open to the idea that we need to we absolutely need to have these conversations. Um, or else it's going to continue to happen. So for us, I think it was just really important um, maintaining our integrity and, you know, being like, okay, this, this did happen. And now what are we going to do? How are we going to, how are we going to move forward from this? We didn't want to hide from anything. I think is the, the, at least for me personally, that was, I felt very strongly about like keeping the name and, and dealing with the consequences of, of what that might mean. Wow, that's that's a powerful reason. That's that. So to to reiterate that feedback back, if I if I heard that correctly, the the to change the name would have just disassociated with not only the organization but the act, the everything. It would have like it could have was like a a cleaning right, like of mm-hmm. the organization. But it's but to but in keeping the name, it while it creates all of the challenges of those associations, it's it's almost like, I mean, sp- speaking from hearing that, it's almost like an act of sacrifice to carry that that burden of that act along, so that conversation remains active, so it can mm-hmm. be addressed. Because because like you said, and 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 also in that that bigger conversation. Of mental health yeah and like this mm-hmm. idea of like just kind of like no 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 keep going keep running keep running 
Don't look at mm -hmm. it. Don't acknowledge it. Don't say it. Just keep moving and don't let it be associated with me. You know, like this, there's, there's a very distinct courage in, in acknowledging and allowing these things to live in our space. Cause they do, we're acknowledging them living in our space, right? We can't, we can ignore them, mm -hmm. but we can't stop them from living in, in, in our, in ourselves, in our communities, in our organizations. Um, but it must be the courageous few that address them directly. And like you said, like in, in the context of mental health, that acknowledgement is where you start to begin to say, to say, oh, um, I could use help with this, or I have to work on this, or, or just, you don't, you don't solve anything, or you don't even manage things that you don't acknowledge, mm -hmm. right? And that's, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's very, very powerful. Man, um, yeah. yeah, so, so taking that back around to, to 206 Zulu, um, I want to ask, ask you for, for all the help with this, because I, I feel like um, in reference to, to, to this organization and also like, you know, other, other organizations like it, like when you're trying to like succinctly say what this thing is. It help, it, it's one way is like kind of like going like the little laundry list. Oh, it's in workshops, prisons, you know, food programs and this and that. But it always, every time there's like an anxiety around making those lists because you always feel like you leave something out. You know what I mean? And so yeah. like not, I'm, I'm not asking you to go through that same anxious place of making the list, <laughs> but but maybe adding to it. Um, can you maybe just just like, yeah, like just pop off what like some moments that that stand out some programs some 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 tools Zulu yeah like moments in history that that you're proud of or that you remember or complex or whatever like yeah yeah can just what what comes yeah. to mind oh my gosh we we've done hundreds and hundreds of programs um over the years and it, it is hard to like think about some in particular but you know gosh there's so many. There's, you know, there's meeting of the minds. There's the hip hop parade troops, the off the wall graffiti battles, um, the Our Story project. Um, the some of the newer ones are like Soulful Mondays, hip hop film festival. Um, oh gosh, I think oh one of my favorites is is just the work at Washington Hall, like the saving of that building. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's um, let's run there. Yeah. Um, so. Gosh, we have had the blessing of, you know, well, one, like I was telling you, when uh, there was there is, was no money in 206 Zulu as a nonprofit, we, you know, we might be paid to, to like do some things in the schools or whatever, but there is really no annual budget. And um, we would meet at the community centers or, or the library or Langston Hughes. Um, later on, it was HIDMO. Uh, for like our monthly members meeting the and restaurant. yeah um Rafa again rest in peace man I, I can't believe how many people we have lost yeah. um so Hidmo is this Eritrean restaurant in the central district and we would have our 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 monthly meetings there and at some point it was right around the fifth anniversary um Gosh, partnerships are really important too. Yeah. We might want to talk about our partnerships. But we had had this amazing uh, fifth anniversary with Festival Sunjata. And we were just, we were five years old and we were just hella pumped. All of us were pumped on on just like what had happened. We were at Seattle Center and it was beautiful. And someone was saying, you know, let's dream big. Let's have a, a you know, it's probably Chasm, um, said <laughs> let's, let's dream big. And so we just started doing like a five, 10 and a 15 year plan of like what the things that we wanted to accomplish. And in the 10 year plan, we wanted to get a building. Um, so this is in 2007 and easily within a month of putting that wish list together, uh, which is also a part of our big practices, like our to-do list and our goals list, uh, which we still do today. Mm. Um, Within a few months, some of our elders kept putting this application in front of us for um, for the space. And I remember Auntie Karen, um, one of our honorary members, um, Karen Turing, she, she said something that I remember to this day. She said, every movement needs a home. Hmm. And 
so it was her um it was Steve Sneed it was a couple other people were like you need you guys need to apply like Washington Hall is coming back and then Washington Hall is like a 111 year old building some um, fascinating things happened there too right like, oh can, can yeah, you, yeah like, can you remember any of that any on that list yeah oh yeah for sure um you know Marcus Garvey spoke there Ella Fitzgerald performed there Cab Calloway um it's mm-hmm. been you know it was run by the Danish Brotherhood and um for a hundred years um hundred plus years was the Danish Brotherhood and then it was the Sons of Haiti both of which um really made the space for um everyone you know even during the redlining district times when you know black and brown and white folks were not allowed to be in the same spaces together like Washington Hall was a a, a beacon for for folks coming together has a beautiful hundred year old uh wooden floor like a dance sprung loaded dance floor um just a beautiful place for for coming together and um so we applied and out of a hundred and some applications we interviewed with 10 other organizations and um ended up being you know the one of the anchor partners there along with um hidmo and uh voices rising wow that's and that's a circle for hidmo too and i just to point out the um the and just just real quick for for Mm -hmm. people that aren't familiar with the term redlining Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can tell, tell what you mean by that. Oh, yeah. So the Central District, um, really, there are, um, I think it's it's basically a housing covenants that re- that uh, do not allow Black and Brown folks to own or rent property. Um, they're really excluded from areas that are outside of the Red Line District, and that's mm. what the Central District was. So... That's when you have people like, you know, Edwin Pratt tried to move to the North End and Shoreline and was, you know, was murdered, you know, like mm-hmm. serious things would like it's not just like a a theory or a concept. It's like literally black and brown folks were not allowed to buy outside of this area or rent. Yeah. And, and that's a deep that's a deep. I know we don't have time to go to go mm-hmm. far as far into that as it deserves. But that's that's definitely mm-hmm. one for mm-hmm. listeners to to dig into on their own on the side of that that use of yeah of location and housing equity and how geography was used as a tool for for oppression um Mm -hmm. and to to benefit um yeah institutionalized racism and in across america um or the united states but um that said i just i it's it's also worth mentioning that in terms to come back to what's become a common theme, which as I know, we're kind of getting to time here, but again, Washington Hall being a place that kind of like thwarted the attempts of, of what that redlining policy, policies were to create, mm-hmm. to separate people, right? And created mm-hmm. a premise for a place where people um, to come together across those, across those lines of separation. So again, unity. And um, that's right. So, um, in respect to your time, I know that, that we we go so much deeper into two six Zulu um, and all of these different elements. But I I think it's beautiful that that we've cataloged and and also the the and we can we'll reference back to two six Zulu dot org, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to yeah, where, where, there's yeah, there's more. Yep, sorry. there's a lot. Uh huh. And the Power okay. Story <laughs> Project. The dip, for you, the different uh-huh. things you mentioned could be followed up on there. But circling back and closing to Kitty Wu at the center of mm-hmm. this, Queen Kitty, um, I, I wanted to ask you personally uh, for, for a, a brief moment of advice. And I know I'm going to, this is going to open you up to, to, you could probably have a two hour <laughs> answer to this, but as in, in the brief time that you have for, for like for young people, especially in the, current political climate that we're in you know what i mean or or any but people for for young folks that are frustrated indignant you know know something's wrong but not quite sure how to articulate it let alone where to start right mm-hmm. um what is what is your advice for where to start oh gosh um you know i mentor young folks all the time it, at the at toasic zulu at the as the music chair of the city of Seattle Music Commission, I would say start um, start it at any of the websites. You know, 206 Zulu has a ton of, of, 
of stuff up there. Um, gosh, this is really a great question. And I probably can go for two hours, but <laughs> quickly, I would say, you know, I would say reach out. Um, our email is, is up on the website. Uh, reach out to us. If you, there's tons of ways for you to get involved. You can be part of a production. You can be part of a meeting. You can um, be part of Beats to the Rhyme, which is a music program just, just for young people um, where you could learn about music and art and um, social justice. And I would say, you know, link with, link with someone that inspires you and ask questions and, and get connected. Beautiful. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for for taking the little moment to to illustrate and break this down, even even if it may just scratch the surface of how deep I know we could go. <laughs> there may be follow up and there may be a follow up yeah. on this one. But aside from that, too, like, you know, one of the, the things that's that's a great pleasure to me for for having this this space is to be able to, you know, give give our flowers to to the heroes of our community. Um, and uh yeah, those those that's a that's a bouquet you you definitely deserve, Sister Queen. So, thank you, thank you for everything you've done, continue to do, and and for taking a little moment to document some of it in the in the process of, of making our story. Ah, thank you so much, Maddie B. All right, family, thank you for tuning in and taking this ride with us with Kitty Wu. Hopefully, you found some things of value in that information she shared. And if there's knowledge you want to follow up on, learn more about. Like if you need to know more about redlining. Don't forget to do that homework. You know, these things are not just Northwest history. This is part of United States history and bigger picture stuff as we learn what's happened so we know how to construct tools for liberation for all people. If you want to find more information about 206 Zulu, you can go to 206zulu.org. Kitty Wu is on Instagram, at Kitty Wu Wu. That's K-I-T-T-Y-W-U-W-U. She's on Twitter at Kitty Wu Wu Wu. Same spelling, just three woos. And as always, we're working together to put this information in order so we can make a better world. So we appreciate you being here with us from the Meeting of the Minds family. You know, as always, it's peace and love. Till next time.